Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I'm Dan Feldman. I'm here with Noah Levick of NBC Sports Philadelphia. And I want to just jump right in and throw my boss, Kurt Heelan, under the bus. Uh, Noah, thanks for coming on, but do me a favor. Set Kurt straight. Tell me I'm right on this debate we were having. We were talking about Joel Embiid's tweets yesterday. He interpreted them as supporting Ben Simmons. I interpreted them as throwing Ben Simmons under the bus yet again. I'm going to read these tweets, and I want you to tell me that I'm right. Uh, Joel Embiid tweeted sources, quote, trust me, bro, unquote. This is replying to an NBA Central tweet about a, a rift between him and Ben Simmons. Stop using my name to push people's agendas. I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. He's an amazing player, and we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. From my own experience, y'all have no idea how much the media makes up stuff for followers and shame on you for believing them. I haven't forgotten, but two years ago I got booed. People in Philly wanted me to be traded. I even shushed them. Only the real ones didn't, but I just put in the work that offseason to get better because I knew I wasn't playing up to my potential. Philly fans, y'all y'all also got to be better. For clarity, I love the criticism. I love when I'm told I can't do something. It makes me work harder to prove everyone wrong, but not everyone is built like that. Noah, is he throwing Ben Simmons under the bus like I think? Yeah, I don't want to cop out here, but my personal interpretation was probably somewhere in the middle there. Uh, I'm throwing under the bus to me might be a little bit strong, but I think absolutely that phrase of not everyone is built like that. It's hard to read that and not think that he's implying perhaps Ben Simmons isn't the sort of personality who holds up well when booed and takes that the way Joel Embiid did as a sign of, okay, I need to reflect and figure out where I can get better as a player. So I think I'm certainly on the same page with you uh, on that front, but I think there was a lot to break down there from Joel Embiid. And I do think he's being sincere when he says that he loves playing with Ben Simmons, that they've had a lot of good times playing together and that in many ways their duo has been quite successful. Uh, is he overselling it with this idea of we're totally prepared to run it back? I think yes. I think we've seen a lot of indications uh, that the Sixers have been seriously you know, exploring the possibility of trading Ben Simmons, that Ben Simmons uh, is not thrilled about the idea of remaining a Sixer, etc., um, so I, for me, uh, Joel Embiid was hitting on a lot of points there. And I think, yeah, it's probably fair to say one of them is that, uh, Ben Simmons is not the sort of personality who perhaps, uh, tends to thrive, um, when criticized, uh, harshly the way he has been, uh, as a sexer. 
Okay, I agree with that. I, I do think there was a genuine nod to appreciating his time with Ben Simmons. But I also think a lot of that was about past tense, right? Like, yeah, this was good. Uh, maybe at times it, uh, people drummed up too much uh, negative negativity between them. Uh, but that's past tense. Like, to throw in there, uh, hey, uh, some people work harder w- when facing criticism, but not everybody's built like that, especially in a city like Philadelphia, uh, where, where fans are going to be hard on players. That That's how the, the fan culture is there. And, you know, saying... Some but some people, no names, but some people aren't built for that. Uh, to end that, end his uh, little tweet storm with that. I don't know. Does do, do you think there's any chance that Joel Embiid uh, either wasn't talking about just any chance he wasn't talking about Ben Simmons uh, with that with that ending? And it's just an unfortunate misinterpretation by people like me uh, that he was, was not an intentional shot at Ben Simmons. It wasn't even an unintentional shot at Ben Simmons. It wasn't about Ben Simmons at all. And we're just misinterpreting. I guess it's possible if you interpret this tweet, uh, this tweet storm rather as him just being pretty emotional and firing off quite a few tweets in quick succession and, not thinking a ton about how people are going to perceive things. Uh, I think he probably got a lot of immediate uh, harsh feedback from uh, folks on Twitter when he made the comment about Sixers fans need to be better. Uh, I think some folks probably didn't take that well, and then Mm. maybe this was the instinctive response to it. So if you want to consider that a possibility, I think there's a world in which it's somewhat feasible. Um, but as I said, I'm inclined to believe that at least somewhere in his mind, whether the front of it or the back of it, um, Ben Simmons was there with the comment about not everyone being built for criticism. And uh, Joel Embiid, just, you know, having covered him for a few years is a, a thoughtful, calculated guy. Uh, not to say that he doesn't have little spurts of emotion like all of us, but uh, I think he's keenly aware of the many people who are going to be reading what he puts out on social media and how people, um, you know, perhaps might interpret those things. So, yeah, not impossible that uh, Ben Simmons, you know, was not the target of that particular phrase, but uh, seems pretty likely um, from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I I agree with that, too. I I think Joel Troll Embiid uh, knows what he's doing on social media. Uh, I, I do want to, of course, get into Ben Simmons trade discussions, but I want to talk a little bit about how we got here uh, because there's a reason that we both and so many other people are, are fairly certain he's talking about Ben Simmons when he says not everybody is built to uh, uh, grow from criticism and work harder from that. Uh, I'm a pretty big Ben Simmons fan relatively. I think he's a very good player. Uh, and people get too hung up on his flaws, but his flaws are very real. And he hasn't progressed as much as you'd hope early in his career uh, for a young player with plenty to improve on. Uh, He's not at that different of a level from where he came into the league. That's disappointing. Uh, Do you look at, is there anything the 76ers could have done differently to avoid the situation uh, and let it get to this point? Yeah, I think there's blame that could be fairly assigned on both sides. I mean, if you just think about the Sixers roster and how much turnover there's been in in recent seasons, I think that's likely not conducive to the growth of a young player. Um, The decision to add Al Horford at a a very high price and 
uh, also uh, bring in Josh Richardson, that was pretty disastrous. And uh, in terms of the Joel Embiid-Ben Simmons pairing, it's actually been excellent when those two are on the floor outside of that one uh, rather horrible uh, 2019-20 season. Uh, so I just think the amount of roster turnover is, is probably not ideal. Uh, I think the Sixers have had rather mixed messaging when it comes to whether it is indeed important for Ben Simmons to shoot. Uh, you had Brett Brown, who was mostly kind of soft on that issue, but then shifted and publicly said, I want Simmons shooting at least one three a game. Uh, and that never came to fruition. And, uh, you know, perhaps another coach would have approached the situation differently uh, and gotten different or better results on that front. Um, but I think a lot of it ultimately has to be placed on Ben Simmons uh, that, you know, the, the question of whether he improves as a shooter and is willing to shoot, um, that falls most on the player. And uh, he has not, as you said, made a lot of progress on that front. I do think he deserves credit for um, fulfilling a lot of the defensive potential he obviously had when he entered the league. He's a defensive player of the year runner up. Uh, he's tremendously versatile. And it is true that he's valuable in a lot of other ways besides scoring. Um, but the, you know, free throw struggles this postseason, uh, that's on him, just not mentally um, being capable of handling that moment. Uh, and I think, yeah, the bottom line is both sides have some blame, um, but it, probably the largest, uh, if you want to be fair, should fall on Simmons himself. I think there was so much roster churn around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid because they are such a tough fit on the court. Yes, I understand the team has mostly been successful with both of them on the floor, but that's because they're two good players. Joel Embiid is excellent. Ben Simmons is very good. You put two good players on the court, uh, it's going to probably be good. I think in general, especially in the biggest moments, especially in the playoffs, especially late in games uh, when defense is tightened, the 76ers haven't been as good as you'd hope with two players as good as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And, and that's why the 76ers have spent so much time trying to write, find the right fit. I thought they did a pretty good job last year uh, really emphasizing shooting. I understood the idea to go with more defense, getting Al Horford, Josh Richardson. Uh, I don't think it was as sound as, as the shooting uh, that they got around those two. But even with uh, Tobias Harris at power forward, even with Steph, Seth Curry, even with Danny Green, that wasn't enough in the end uh, to cover for uh, the, the shooting deficiencies of Ben Simmons. I just think it's a real tough fit with Embiid. Uh, and so to me, this pairing never made sense because Ben Simmons is such a good player. He had so much value. I think he still has a lot of value. Uh, I don't think it's at his peak anymore. I, I, I think his value has dropped. And so to me, I wonder, why didn't the 76ers do a better job of seeing this problem coming? To me, uh, I, I would have been looking to trade Ben Simmons for years. Uh, maybe there was no trade out there, right? I, I definitely didn't want to dump him. I didn't want to trade him for whatever you could get. But where it seemed like his value used to be before he was exposed in last year's playoffs, seems like the 76ers could have gotten a lot for him and been in a better position now. Uh, I, I understand the idea of like, oh, he's... You know, th these are the stars they want to build around. But why did it have to be that way? Why why was the team so set on building around these two? When to me, it was clear this was not an option. It was a good fit because they're good players. Uh, and so you put good players on the court, good things are going to happen. But to me, it was not nearly an optimal fit. Yeah, I think that's fair. But 
I think it was not especially difficult to talk yourself into this being a duo that could win the Eastern Conference. I mean, even if you just look at last season, they earned the conference's top seed, albeit they got some help with Brooklyn having a ton of injuries and it being a rather odd, you know, pandemic-affected season, but they were the top seed in the East. They did have a tremendous uh, starting five. And look, if Ben Simmons shoots 50 or 60% in that Hawks series as opposed to 33%, a pretty good chance they win the series. Uh, And it was mystifying even to him why he dropped off to that extent. I think if Doc Rivers coaches a better series and isn't stubborn about using these all bench or mostly bench lineups, the Sixers are probably in a better position to win the series. If Dwight Howard isn't, you know, playing pretty uh, poor basketball in three or four games in that series, again, the Sixers uh, probably are moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, uh, yeah, I think in in hindsight, uh, absolutely not an optimal pairing, but a very, very good one. And uh, even if you go back to 2018-19, uh, you know, they're a miraculous uh, quadruple bouncing shot away from the conference finals on that team with uh, Butler as the third star with Simmons and Embiid. Um, so I think the margins tend to be very small in the NBA. You can even look at Kevin Durant's, you know, toe being a little bit too big for the Nets to be an Eastern Conference Finals team this season. Uh, And yeah, now they're in a very, very difficult position because they didn't pull the trigger. I think uh, it's clearly something that's been, you know, under consideration for a while. We heard a lot of buzz about Simmons as a potential centerpiece to a James Harden deal. But now the idea of Simmons as a viable, you know, central piece uh, in a trade for a star, uh, unfortunately, from the Sixers perspective, it looks much less likely um, because they've had a lot of faith in this duo um, for quite a few years here now. Yeah, it's fair that Ben Simmons wasn't the only problem in the playoffs last year, but the way he was playing by the end definitely was a problem uh, and an addressable one. And, you know, the 76ers are going about trying to address the other ones too. Let's talk more about a Simmons trade. And I, I think this is my starting point. Uh, what do you think about the idea of trading Simmons for a significantly lesser player in a vacuum, but someone who fits better. And you can imagine whoever you, you want here, and this wouldn't be the whole package, but this would be the centerpiece of a package. I think Malcolm, uh, excuse me, uh, CJ McCollum is the classic example. Malcolm Brogdon uh, might fit that also. Uh, maybe a D'Angelo Russell. Imagine whoever you want there with, you know, maybe a role player, moderate picks, whatever. Clear talent downgrade, uh, probably getting older, but I'd say getting someone who fits much better with Joel Embiid. And I don't know whether that's worth it, right? You lower your ceiling to a degree, but I also think Joel Embiid is an awesome player. He is ready to lead a championship team. And so if you have the right fitting pieces around him, then maybe the 76ers win a title next year. And if the 76ers win a title because of this trade, of course you're like, "Ah, who cares about getting older or having an overall talent downgrade? The goal is a title and, I think that's within reach. Is it likely? No. I, you know, the odds are against almost any single team winning a title. The, 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 it's so rare that a team uh, is favored over the field to win a title. But I think the 76ers are in that mix. I think trading, making that type of trade uh, might increase their short-term title odds and lower their long-term title odds. What do you think of that? Am I looking at this uh, the right way? And what do you think of that kind of trade-off? 
Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. I think probably since the moment Game 7 ended, you figured Darren Morey would be in a situation where he'd be weighing the type of authors uh, you just laid out, and then the possibility, even if it's not super probable, of a star uh, such as Damian Lillard shaking free and... Uh, ben Simmons being attractive to the team that has that star. Uh, and I think, you know, that's looking a bit more remote right now, just given where things stand, but it's not impossible. Uh, I think one way this, the Sixers could still leave some of those star uh, potential trades on the table is by getting a lot of draft assets in a, in a Ben Simmons deal. So if you get back, you know, several first round picks in addition to a couple of helpful players, uh, then maybe that leaves you down the line in a position where if Damian Lillard's unhappy in two years, you know, the Sixers are um, theoretically a team that could make, you know, the best offer there. But yeah, no, I think overall you're, you're looking at it in a a reasonable way. Uh, I think CJ McCollum makes sense on paper uh, as a player who, uh, obviously can knock down threes at a high rate, isn't shy about shooting them, doesn't turn the ball over a lot, which has creeped up as a, a playoff problem for the Sixers, uh, and also can handle backup point guard minutes as well, uh, which m- might be nice in a situation where Tyrese Maxey is still on this team, but uh, at st- just 20 years old, maybe isn't capable of handling the ball for you know 35, 40 minutes a game. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of factors for Daryl Morey to weigh, uh, and I think uh, the idea of not winning a trade but getting a player who fits well with Embiid uh, is certainly one he should be considering. Yeah. Do you think Daryl Morey looks at it that way? Do you, what do you think his tolerance is for not winning a trade? Uh, you know, when you're just evaluating it in in a vacuum, where the asset play isn't necessarily in Philadelphia's favor. Yeah, my sense is it's his tolerance for that would not be very high, and it would be far from his uh, preferred option. I, I think the preferred option for an executive like Maury is always to hunt for the star and um, not to do a trade just because there's public pressure or pressure from the player or pre- pressure from the player's agent or camp. Um, really to win the trade, if that is at all uh, doable. Uh, And I think he probably more than most executives holds out hope for a long time that, quote unquote, winning a Simmons trade is doable. Uh, So I would not be surprised at all if this gets messier, if this gets a lot more uncomfortable, if this lingers for a lot longer in Maury hoping that uh, he can put himself in a better position with these negotiations and be persuasive to teams that just because Ben Simmons isn't happy with the idea of staying with the Sixers and just because he had a bad playoff series, um, that he's not, you know, still an extremely valuable player and still a young player who uh, could theoretically be tremendously enticing for a team should he make this long-awaited expansion uh, with his offensive game. So, uh, my sense is that, yeah, Maury uh, would strongly, strongly prefer not to quote-unquote lose a trade, 
Uh, and, you know, we'll see if, if that's actually doable here uh, in what has become a very tricky situation for him. Whenever people ask me, you know, should a team trade a player, I almost always give the same answer of, well, it depends on the offers, and I don't know all the offers. And I don't know anything specific here, but just generally knowing how things work, I tend to believe that of all the reported offers made by Philadelphia and all the reported offers made to Philadelphia, we don't know what the best offer Philadelphia is sitting on, right? The uh, the Timberwolves trading for, for Simmons without giving up Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, or D'Angelo Russell. So giving up, you know, I guess Malik Beasley, some filler, some picks, like that kind of junk. Like, I don't think that's Philadelphia's best offer, nor do I think, you know, these wild Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and picks and this, and, and I think OG Ananobi was in there, like, you know, all these, these offers the 76ers are making, uh, searching for a ton. I don't think that's uh, the most reasonable offer uh, the 76ers have made. I, I think it's somewhere in between on both. So roughly, maybe having some idea, roughly, roughly, and I, I think it's going to matter in the roughly, but roughly uh, what the 76ers could get for Simmons, what do you think? Do you think it's worth uh, making the move now or starting training camp with him still on the roster and you know maybe calling his bluff on a holdout or or maybe he he does hold out and it turns into a bigger mess maybe he shows up and it's an even bigger mess i you know i don't know if i'd rather have him sitting at home or or joining the team and causing chaos or or what would be preferable but neither is pleasant uh you make a trade now it's at least going to become pleasant is it going to be worthwhile in the long run i don't know that's what i'm i'm asking you just in a rough sense of what you think the 76ers could get for ben simmons now what do you think uh, would be a better route, trading him before training camp or taking this I- into the season? Yeah, like you say, it's hard to assess. I'd lean toward um, waiting not being a bad option here. I think, as you say, it would be awkward and it would be difficult and unfortunate for people in Joel Embiid's position and Doc Rivers's position for every day to be, you know, what's going on with Simmons or is he going to report or, you know, is he at all considering reporting, et cetera. But um, the bottom line is a Ben Simmons trade. The ultimate goal would be making the Sixers a team with a better chance of winning in the playoffs, right? Like I think everyone acknowledges he's a very productive regular season player and his flaws have been especially glaring in the playoffs. So Worst case scenario of he holds out and the Sixers refuse to trade him because the offers still aren't to their liking. Uh, you're still talking about a very good team led by Joel Embiid, uh, likely a team where Tyrese Maxey and some younger players get heavier minutes. Uh, and I think you're still looking at a team that has a decent chance to be cohesive and like each other and uh kind of stay in the boat um, while that drama continues to unfold. Um, So tough to judge uh, without knowing what every single team has seriously offered to Daryl Morey. Uh, But I I think waiting uh, is not an outlandish path here. I think uh, Simmons' camp making it known that they're displeased. it's not ideal, but it's also not disastrous for the Sixers um, at this stage. Uh, if there's a situation, as you kind of allude to, that's 
Jimmy Butler-esque or James Harden-esque where Simmons is at practice and is throwing basketballs at teammates or doing these uh, ridiculously disruptive things, uh, then I think that's a different story. Um, but I think right now, you know, there's still a few weeks until camp and uh, there's still more time to let things play out. And Daryl Morey would hope let things play out in a way that uh, favors the Sixers. So uh, that's kind of where I would I would stand on that particular question. I'm glad you brought up James Harden. Uh, I think it's so absurd that supposedly the 76ers are asking for a James Harden-esque package for Simmons when the 76ers just offered Simmons plus a lot more for Harden, and that wasn't good enough. And then Simmons had the playoffs he did. Uh, for, 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 for If Philly's asking with a straight face for that type of package, I mean, good luck to him. And I also understand uh, why Simmons and his agent, Rich Paul, might resent like, hey, you know, we're with you. You want to trade him? We want him traded. We're all on the same page. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking so long? You've known all offseason that this was coming, that, you know, we all all want him gone. Uh, Just pick an offer. Pick the best one and just do it. It's not going to get way better. I I can understand that resentment. It seemed almost inevitable that we'd end up at this point if the 76ers didn't make a trade. Maybe that speaks to your uh, point about Daryl Morey's comfort seeking the, this best offer, that, that he's not going to be bothered uh, by, by the chaos. Because, you know, I, I think, one, that's somewhat how Maury operates. Two, uh, executives are not in the fray in the same way coaches are, players are. Uh, Doc Rivers has, is, a, is a prominent coach with a, a prominent voice. Uh, Joel Embiid obviously holds a lot of sway within this organization. How much do you think they can uh, – pressure and direct if they want i don't even know what they'd want to do but if they say hey we're the ones who have to be around ben simmons if he shows up this is awkward and uncomfortable for us you know we want a new player in here uh, coaches players they tend to think more short term uh how how do you think the decision making within the franchise goes is this completely daryl Morey's decision of when to do it uh do Embiid and rivers maybe through ownership have a voice how does that shake out I think Joel Embiid is massively influential here. Uh, Daryl Morey speaks with him almost with a tone of reverence. Uh, he has a extremely high level of respect for Joel Embiid, both as a player, as a person. Uh, they get along well off the court. They certainly speak often about the team they want to build. It was interesting, even um, heading into last season, Joel Embiid mentioned that he had a discussion with the front office about his desire to have more shooting around him, and that seemingly played a role in the additions of Seth Curry and Danny Green. So I think if Joel Embiid makes it known um, that he is hugely dissatisfied with uh, the state of affairs on the Sixers, uh, that will play a role. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. I think Maury ultimately has final say regardless, uh, and there's a clear hierarchy in the front office in a way that perhaps there wasn't under uh, past regimes that were nominally led by Elton Brand. Uh, but I think Joel Embiid is very important here. And uh, Doc, Doc Rivers uh, is key, too. Uh, Daryl Morey certainly has a lot of respect for him. Uh, they you know, originally formed a relationship in Boston, uh, they get along well. They talk a lot about their vision for the team. Uh, and I think Doc Rivers, if he lets Daryl Morey know a few days into training camp that this is just not going to work out and uh, we urgently need to change how we're playing the situation, 
uh, I think that would um, be a significant voice as well. Uh, but I think everything is in Daryl Morey's court for the most part, uh, not to say that those other um, perspectives are unimportant, uh, but Daryl Morey has a lot of power on the Sixers, uh, and they trust him to be the guy uh, making these calls. What was Doc Rivers doing after Game 7 against the Hawks? I mean, we've seen that quote where, where he was asked, you know, can, can Ben Simmons be the point guard on a championship team? And, and Doc Rivers said, I don't know. We've seen that quote come up uh, kind of as a reason Ben Simmons wants out. And it, I'm sure Ben Simmons didn't like it. I, I'm skeptical that was the reason. I think that might be getting overplayed a little bit, uh, like we've been talking about. I think the reason is that he and Embiid just aren't an optimal fit and Embiid's ready to win a title. Uh, and so it goes a different uh, direction. Uh, but I, I saw, you know, Doc Rivers throughout all of last season really going out of his way to pump up Ben Simmons. Talk about uh, how he uh, and Bede fit well together. Uh, pick it, uh, Ben Simmons for Defensive Player of the Year, even when Joel Embiid uh, was campaigning for that award. Uh, I think at one point during the playoffs, he said, shame on you to any Philly fans who didn't really appreciate Ben Simmons. Uh, I, I don't... I, think all of this was necessarily genuine. I, you know, I think uh, Doc Rivers believed in Ben Simmons, uh, but I also think that he uh, made a point to, to exaggerate any, anything positive he'd say about Ben Simmons because Doc Rivers has been doing this a long time. He, he endorses his players for awards so that they don't necessarily deserve it. It's one of his methods uh, uh, of getting guys to, to buy in and play better, and it often works. But then to all of a sudden, after Game 7, pivot with a different message. Was that just out of frustration uh was that saying hey me trying to uh inflate Ben Simmons's ego that clearly didn't work so we need to try something different was that deliberate what, what do you think happened there with Doc Rivers after game seven loss to the Hawks I definitely don't think it was a motivational tactic I, I think it was a moment where he was responding to a lot of questions with I don't know or some variation of I have no clue what just happened and what went wrong, but it's extremely frustrating and uh, it's something that I'll need to reevaluate when I'm in a different headspace. Uh, in the moment, you know, I, I personally didn't see it as a huge deal or him being uh, bleak on Ben Simmons's future. It just felt like an honest answer of, I don't really know a lot of things right now, and that is one of them. Uh, and I think it would have felt highly disingenuous if he did say that he believed in Ben Simmons as a championship-level point guard after that performance. Uh, so for me, it, it was just an honest moment uh, where he didn't care about deep, being diplomatic the way he had for the majority of the season. But you're absolutely right, then – Whenever there was an implication in his mind that someone was saying Ben Simmons's game was fundamentally flawed in some way, uh, he would get very defensive and prickly and, and you know borderline combative, uh, and that was a sharp departure uh, from that tone. Uh, but for me, it was just an honest answer, which you know we always appreciate as reporters and. Um, just given how much scrutiny there was on Simmons and the Sixers after that game, uh, that particular answer um, got a lot of attention. Uh, and yeah, Ben Simmons, you know, you can understand him being made aware of that and not being thrilled about it, even if uh, I think it would be hard to dispute uh, the notion that 
uh, not being sure in that situation was totally fair, you know? Yeah. And, and I think even with more time to reflect, I think, I don't know is the appropriate answer. I don't know whether Ben Simmons can be the point guard in a championship team. Not, not the way he plays right now, probably unless everything is situated just right around him. And I think um, that that's a high burden to, to build your whole team around uh, Ben Simmons. I'm not sure he's quite good enough to justify that though. Maybe he is. Uh, He's still young, but he could also grow. I, I don't think he's necessarily stuck as a player. His shot hasn't been this broken uh, forever, he you know he, he wasn't somebody shooting a lot of three pointers, but at least he'd shoot a little from the mid range, or or even shoot uh, at, at the rim. Uh, you know that's something he he shied away from it, as Joel Embiid pointed out. So that is the best uh, defense of Doc Rivers is that he was telling the truth. Uh, I will stick up for whenever uh, what whether it, it's the nice thing to say or not. I'll stick up for somebody who gives a truthful answer in those press conferences. Uh, the, those Joel Embiid comments after the game. Uh, that seemed way harsher to Ben Simmons to me because he went, you know, Doc Rivers was asked, you know, do you think Ben Simmons can be a championship point guard? Joel Embiid went out of his way to point out Ben Simmons not dunking was the turning point in the game. Uh, you know, and, and add that to the other comments uh, Joel Embiid has made over the years about how, you know, players need to work outside their comfort zones. That seemed to me to say Ben Simmons needs to shoot more. Uh, we just talked about the the tweet uh, so there's a lot going on with, with Simmons and Embiid, too. Uh, I think Doc Rivers has the emotional maturity to to handle this. I think Joel Embiid, to a certain sense, uh, doesn't doesn't care, right? Like, he, even in his tweets, he said he loves drama. Like, he'll get a lot of attention, and he'll probably just enjoy having the attention. But I just really question the most whether Simmons could handle coming back to the 76ers and, and dealing with all of that mentally. Uh, do, do you think if, if he comes back or if he faces that choice, if he's not traded, uh, do you think it'd be hardest on him or, or somebody else? I'd probably lean toward uh, Simmons himself. I think the collective impact on the team would be quite significant, but it's somewhat a situation where you can almost spread that burden of being asked the questions. You know, there's a limited number of questions that can be asked and, each player who was made available to the media would surely be asked some version of what's going on with Ben Simmons and how do you feel about it? Uh, But it's at least not all on a single person. Uh, Even if Joel Embiid, as you say, is, is always in the spotlight uh, to a large extent. Uh, I think Simmons, uh, especially given that it has been leaked out there that he doesn't plan to return to training camp. uh, If he were to change his mind, Uh, I don't think Philadelphia fans would be very forgiving or um, feel that that is a great turn of events. Uh, I think well before Ben Simmons made it known through the media that he does not plan to return, uh, most Sixers fans were on board with the idea of uh, this is a player that uh, we need to part ways with uh, as an organization. So uh, I think that would be very tough on Simmons, and I think in some improbable scenario where he's in a Sixers uniform and he's playing games, uh, the bar for what would satisfy the fan base uh, would be high. Uh, he would need to make free throws at a high rate. He would need to take jump shots. He would need to be aggressive attacking the basket. Uh, anything outside of that. Uh, he would be booed very, very heavily. That's just uh, the reality. 
you know, we've been talking about different points of pressure, and that's one. I'm curious about uh, fans' uh, reaction, uh, how this might influence the whole organization in terms of say whatever else you want about the process. Sam Hinkie did a great job of giving these 76ers so many assets to work with, a great situation uh, to be inherited uh, by a, a few uh, lead executives now. Uh, and these assets have just gotten depreciated. That, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned Jimmy Butler earlier, right? He came in and now, and, you know, by now uh, that turned into Josh Richardson, which turned into Seth Curry, which is nice, but it's not Jimmy Butler. Uh, trading up for Melchior Faults was a disaster, U- using that top pick on him and giving up another first rounder. There's so many examples uh, of where, you know, 76 had cap space, used it on Al Horford, then had to dump him. Just so many examples of th- this great situation uh, winnowing down to this. And I know 76ers fans are not a monolith, but how do you think fans would react if, of course, if, you know, there's some anger towards Simmons, and, and if this turns into a great package, if it's Damian Willard, or somebody like that, every Bradley Beal, everybody is over the moon. But what if it's that type of package we were talking about before, where the centerpiece is somebody like CJ McCollum, and you just say, man, we are in a bad situation, but at least we get somebody who fits better. Like, it's not good from the asset play. How do you think 76ers fans would react to that type of trade? I think it would be a mixed reaction, but I do think there's a sizable chunk of the fan base who instinctively would just be pleased that phew, Ben Simmons is no longer on the <laughs> team and we have someone who takes jump shots and you know is a good jump shooter. I, I think I think uh, that would weigh heavily in how a lot of fans did see this. Um, but I think also in that situation, uh, there would be criticism of Daryl Morey for perhaps bungling the situation, you know, getting a little too cute with it in not trading Ben Simmons earlier in this offseason and at least um, on the surface hurting his leverage in these negotiations and, and having to settle. Um, so I think, uh, as you say, it wouldn't be a monolithic reaction. You know, it, it would probably be a pretty split fan base. Uh, there'd probably be a lot of wait and see, like, okay, let's see how this new guy does fit alongside Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. Uh, if Tob- Tyrese Maxey is on the team, I think there'd be a lot of excitement uh, about him getting heavier minutes and, and stepping into a bigger role. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it would be uh, a varied reaction. Uh, I think with C.J. McCollum in particular, the fact that he's a Lehigh product would probably work a little bit in his favor, uh, and he's uh, seems to be a likable, charismatic guy, so uh, that would probably help a little bit in his early days here. Uh, just in terms of him, you know, getting along well with reporters and, and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, and then if, if it's not CJ McCollum, um, then I think a lot of fans would um, be really curious just how that new piece would uh, fit in on this team. Uh, and I think there'd be a lot of folks open to the possibility that this new player would be a lot more, quote unquote, built for Philly uh, than Ben Simmons uh, is. Oh, what an indictment of Ben Simmons, uh, not built for Philly. Uh, I, I think there have been a t- attention paid o- over time to, is Ben Simmons a point guard? Is that his best position? Should he be a point guard? And a lot of these times, there was another player on the roster where if you wanted to reconfigure things, trade a front court player and move Ben Simmons to power forward, you could just slot in or think you could slot in at least. Uh, Markel Fultz, Jimmy Butler, George Hill uh, as the lead uh, ball handler from the perimeter 
it's a little different now. I think sometimes it gets overlooked. Uh, if the best Ben Simmons trade package involves bringing back a wing or a couple wings uh, and not getting another point guard or point guard type, what do you think of Philadelphia going into the season with Embiid, a bolstered wing rotation, but at point guard, you know, maybe it's Seth Curry kind of playing somewhat out of position. Maybe it's uh, Tyrese Maxey in a bigger role. Uh, maybe it's uh, Shake Milton getting a little bit of a bigger role, some combination of what would you think of, of just, Hey, the, these are the point guard ish players on the roster now. And those are our, our Phillies point guards. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that that is um, a disastrous way to at least enter the season. Uh, I think, you know, there's always the, the possibility of in-season upgrades and uh, Daryl Morey would, I assume, be exploring those uh, in that situation. But look, this team does think very, very highly of Tyrese Maxey. Uh, he only played two games in Summer League, but was, was awfully impressive there and has clearly made it a point of emphasis this offseason to work on some of his point guard skills as far as running an offense. He actually said that's something that Doc Rivers told him to do, uh, you know, distributing to his teammates, uh, shooting pull-up threes more regularly. Uh, and I think even though he's 20 years old, uh, he's shown he has a knack for big moments and was impressive in large part in the postseason, um, you know, as a rookie. So I think the Sixers wouldn't feel too, um, too anxious about that situation, uh, you know, just in terms of not checking off the positional label of point guard. Um, but that said, I, I think that they would probably like a veteran point guard, uh, such as George Hill, who's no longer on the team, but you know, someone in that mold uh, who could at least share some of the ball handling uh, burden and, and ensure, you know, Maxie didn't have it all on his shoulders uh, in that situation. What have I not asked you about the Ben Simmons situation that we should cover? Um, no, I think I think we've covered most of it. Uh, there's there's obviously a lot of frustration frustration and, and angst among the fan base as as we touched on. Um, I think you know it is interesting. At least you know we're talking about how. Daryl Morey tends to play things that um, he avoided any moves that severely limited the Sixers, op, you know, options moving forward. And I think that is to his credit. Uh, he tried to make marginal upgrades this offseason, adding George Niang as a guy who could be an upgrade at that backup four spot, adding Andre Drummond as a player that the Sixers seemingly believe is better overall than Dwight Howard uh, as a backup to Joel Embiid. Um, but Tyrese Maxey is still on this team, Matisse Thibel, uh, you know, they've got some, some draft picks that they could, um, give away if, if necessary. Uh, so a lot of pieces are still in place. If Maury can somehow pull something off either in the near or not so near future to land a star. Uh, and I think he does deserve a little credit for how he has played that situation, um, but in my mind, he's ultimately going to be judged most on how is this Simmons thing ultimately resolved. And uh, I think it's probably a little too early to pass definitive judgment until we have an answer to that question. So until we do, we all uh, we all wait to see exactly what's going to go down. Frustration and angst are, are good words to describe the situation. But I don't know if they are 
the appropriate words. They definitely they definitely describe how people feel. But I think people are sleeping on the 76ers. I, I saw two years ago so many people write them off uh, a- after getting uh, after losing the first round when Ben Simmons was sidelined, and that was back when Ben Simmons was still a helpful playoff player, at least in the first round. Uh, everybody's panicking now after a second round loss when Joel Embiid was playing hurt, if he were capable of uh, sustaining his normal play for just a few more minutes against the Hawks, the the 76ers might have been in the conference finals and, yeah, probably would have lost the Bucks. We feel better going to the conference finals than losing the second round. Uh, this team had the best record in the East last season. Now everybody's talking about the Nets, I think understandably. Everybody's talking about the Bucks, understandably. Uh, I think uh, people are talking about the Heat, somewhat understandably. Uh, I think people are talking about the Hawks, mostly understandably. Uh, but I think Philly belongs in that discussion. Uh, even if Ben Simmons is not back, he's going to return something. Uh, this team, he's an asset at minimum who, who will get the team better players that, that can help. I, I think this is still a, a championship contender. I feel worse about them than I did last year. But I still think this is a team with a plausible chance to win a championship. And, and people are dwelling on the negatives. And hey, maybe we just fueled that with our a 45 or so minute conversation on uh, what went wrong with the Ben Simmons situation and how the 76ers get out of it. Uh, but am I wrong for thinking this is still a team in really good shape relative to the rest of the league? No, I don't think you are. No, I, th- I think those are all good points that I would agree with. Uh, I think Joel Embiid uh, has ascended into, you know, one of the best players in basketball and it's a really big deal that he took that leap and that the Sixers now have him locked down until he's 33 years old, you know, having signed him to a uh, super max extension uh, this off season, I think Tobias Harris became a lot better as in kind of well-rounded player uh, last season, improved defensively, improved as a passer uh, and was a very good fourth quarter clutch scorer for the Sixers, uh, at least in regular season situations albeit uh, was disappointing in games five and seven uh, against the Hawks, but that doesn't discount the fact that he's still in in his prime uh, borderline all-star sort of player, uh, which, you know, I, I think probably is something that tends to be overlooked for people kind of taking a, a broad look at the Eastern Conference. Uh, and Matisse Thibel uh, was a member of an all-defensive team in his second year, despite only playing 20 minutes per game. Uh, just because he has these absurd talents as a defender with uh, these tremendous instincts, uh, this you know incredible closing speed, and uh, just this knack for forcing turnovers and sparking transition offense. Uh, we've talked about Tyrese Maxey, who looks like a steal um, with you know a pick in the early twenties, uh, and then the Sixers also like uh, the two other picks in that draft, Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe. Uh, second rounders that they seem to think have a have a shot at contributing uh, this upcoming season. So uh, still a very good basketball team. Uh, it's just the Sixers are in this situation where fans are sick of being told that they're close or that you know patience is required. And I can understand that, um, but I agree it's it's not all doom and gloom. There are a lot of positives uh, with this team, regardless of how the Simmons situation uh, is resolved. Uh, and just the, just having Joel Embiid, uh, as long as that's the case, and as long as he's healthy, uh, this team has a shot to do very, very well. Um, because you do also have to account for the fact that he was injured in the playoffs 
and you saw a couple of games in that Hawks series, I think most notably game four, where he was 0 for 12 in the second half. Like he was clearly hampered physically. Uh, so you, you imagine a situation where he's at 100 uh, percent and in peak health. Uh, and I think uh, that makes the Sixers just inherently a formidable Eastern Conference team. Follow Noah on Twitter at Noah Levick, L-E-V-I-C-K. Read his work at NBC Sports Philadelphia uh, because this Ben Simmons situation is, of course, fascinating. There's a lot going on there. Uh, but this is a team to watch uh, going forward. Uh, so so pay attention to to Noah's coverage, uh, not just now during this Ben Simmons saga, but but into the season, into the following years. The 76ers uh, are, are here to stay a, a, as a team in the national consciousness. Uh, Noah, thanks for coming on and, and discussing Philadelphia's situation with me. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 